Welcome to part one of Cisco's Smart and Connected Workspaces podcast. So, welcome to the inaugural Cisco Technology Podcast. This is uh, Justin Woolen. I work for Cisco. And uh, you can contact the podcast at, at Justin Woolen on Twitter, or you can email into the, sh- into the show or to the podcast at uh, justinwoolen at cisco.com. That's two O's and one L. So, why are we doing this? There are plenty of podcasts out there. There's plenty of technology podcasts out there by, by Cisco and other companies out there. So, why are we doing another one? So, we wanted to do something a bit more local, a bit more meaningful to the, the UK uh, and so, as a fan of podcasts myself, I listen to a lot of them, varying from films to sport, rugby, and uh, technology myself. And I spend a lot of time in the car, and it's a great time for me just to catch up with stuff. It's a bit of dead time. Um, you can only spend so many times phoning people up in the car. So I, I tend to use that time to catch up with a bit of technology and what's going on out there. And so I want to be able to share the experiences and the ideas uh, that I have meeting plenty of customers uh, that... Cisco customers and some that aren't Cisco customers. So that's why we're doing it. And who's it for? This is this podcast is for anybody. So we're talking customers, partners, even people inside Cisco who, who want to get to who I don't get to speak to that often, or and want to be able to keep up to date in the other things that are going on around Cisco. Uh, so the way this is going to run, we're going to have uh, a top. We're going to run this as often as possible, and it's going to be driven. A lot of it is going to be driven by the you guys who are listening. So if you have topics, you've got uh, ideas, things you want to have covered in this podcast, please let us know. And you, again, contact us at Twitter at, uh, at Justin Woolen or uh, via email at justin.woolen at cisco.com. It's a real sad thing. I'm actually having to read my email address there, but uh, there we go. Don't worry about that. Um, so let us know your ideas. Let us know your thoughts. And we really do want to hear from you. We also will try and want to speak in, in a bit of plain language. So we're going to do a bit of uh, a buzzword bingo. We will basically try and call each other out, mm-hmm. the people in the room, on uh, if we're starting to talk a bit too Cisco-y, too many acronyms, too many uh, abbreviations that people that, you, that, that customers and people won't understand. So please, uh, if, if you catch us out, please let us know. So um, we're going to run this often as possible. We're joined by our production team here. We've got Lucas. Hello. And we've got Kirsty. Hello. And today we're also joined by our special guest, who are hopefully we'll uh, get to meet plenty more times, is Steve McKee. Hello. So, Steve, do you want to, uh, in the uh, Good Game Show host way, do you want to tell us what's your name, where you come from? Indeed, indeed. So, my name's Steve McKee. Funnily enough, I work for Cisco. Uh, can I just <laughs> And I work for uh, a fabulous chap called Shinton Patel, who heads up. The uh, so internally buzzword bingo is called the cross architectural oh, kind of team, that. right? But what that really means is the solutions practice. The solutions practice is very interested in engaging with account teams and kind of customers to try and understand what the problems are and kind of discuss how we could help accelerate their business outcomes. Trying to understand what it is that they want to achieve, and then what we do is work with lots of other teams within Cisco to put solutions together to then help facilitate that. We like talking about the blinky lights and the individual products and all the rest of it, but what excites us even more is when we put all of those products together to create a solution. That sounds fancy. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Highfalutin and fancy, way way above my pay grade. But uh, So thanks very much for joining us, Steve, today. And so the thing we're going to talk about today is, is around 
how can we help in an age of austerity? How can technology help when there's got to be huge amounts of cost savings to be made? And when we look at it, uh, you mean I've done a bit of research, and you see that there's 20 billion uh, pounds of savings need to be made by 2020. Uh, central government, they've already reduced their headcount by 20%. They've already re- reduced their building count by 20% because they have a lot of buildings that aren't being used or utilised properly. So how can you drive more efficiency in there? And so that's where, here's a bit of buzzword, Cisco buzzword, is we're looking at smart and connected workspaces, workplace transformation. Customers call it something like around mobility, estate rationalization. There's mobile working, flexible working, are all things that are all trying to drive efficiencies out of government departments. And this is, we're seeing this across all the sectors, both in, in local government, in healthcare, as well as central government. So Steve's here, gonna, gonna, we, we're going to talk a bit about that with Steve's help today because he's an expert in this and he covers uh, a wide sector of public sector. So Steve, what, what are you seeing out there from the customers that you're meeting? It's a, kind of an interesting point as well about kind of terminology. So there's a very specific solution within Cisco called the Smart and Connected Workspace. But interestingly, when you talk to various public sector customers, they kind of all talk about the same thing but they just might talk about it in slightly different language or maybe have slightly different terminology for it. So, for example, in local government, you hear lots about digital workplace or digital workplace transformation or mobile and flexible working or the ability to, you know, kind of um, uh, work from home or work across kind of any building and, and that kind of thing. Within healthcare, healthcare... Um, it's maybe less about you know kind of building rationalisation and being able to kind of be location independent, but more about being able to provide services to those kind of health workers where they need it. So that might be at the bedside, that might be kind of gaining access to subject matter experts at that kind of decision point in time who might not be physically you know within that building at any point. So again, it's all about kind of location independent working, mm-hmm. but. Lots of customers have slightly different kind of terminology, so the kind of a specific kind of keywords you're looking for is workspace or workplace transformation, mobile and flexible working, um, hot desk, and uh, those kind of those kind of keywords. Those keywords yeah. feed into our smart and connected workspace solution. Right. Okay. Yeah. So again, if you think about the uh, kind of public sector vertical specifically. Um, they're getting squeezed, right? They're getting squeezed. They're getting squeezed until the pips uh, kind of squeak. Yeah. And um, uh, if you think about some of the reductions that you've already highlighted, twenty percent in real estate, maybe twenty percent in kind of uh, uh, the kind of workforce. I guess that twenty billion pounds by twenty twenty um, is going to come, you know, kind of from further reductions and that yeah. kind of thing. Now. God forbid nobody likes talking about workforce reduction, but if you think about that, part of that and put it to kind of one side, the other area that's really ripe still, given the fact that it's 20% kind of reduction, you could argue that there's huge savings still within that real estate rationalisation. Yeah. If you think about individual public sector agencies being able to reduce their real estate, that's you know, a fantastic opportunity. But imagine public sector agencies being able to share buildings. Imagine being able to be public, different public sector agencies being able to visit other public sector buildings and being able to share them. That is still rationalisation. Fantastic. And that's really interesting because that's been called out by the government as well. They want it like public sector hubs. Yeah. So people exactly. can come into. And exactly. it's, I mean, it, 
it makes sense to everybody yeah. else it makes sense it's, it's the challenge it is about how does technology help that mm-hmm. and when you look at some of the targets that have been put out there as well by the government by, by the government you say well currently uh, 20 to 2011 to 2012, they they got a they're measuring it on a square foot square meterage, so 13 square meters per full time employee. You look at 2013, they got that down to 11.9, so that's been very specific. By the end of 2015, they're looking at 10 square meters per mm. per full time employee, and the target of eight square meters by 2018. So that doesn't really mean much to me as a, as a person. Mm. But what you can see that there is there is going to be a squeeze, and there's targets being put there about how they're going to do that. And the only way I can think about doing that is either you mean you talked about sharing buildings, mm-hmm. but it's actually going to have to start closing buildings. Indeed, indeed. And, yeah. and it, I mean, when you look at a business, you think of the three most expensive things: is people, expenses, and real estate. Mm-hmm. So you'd hope that they've, they've reduced the head headcount by as, as much as they can nowadays and we, we, we're all aware of austerity from the, from that perspective so for me I mean I'm sure there's a lot of hammering on expenses you mean do, you mean keeping down travel oh, that yeah. sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah and, we, and we've seen that internally doesn't it you mean back mm-hmm. in 2008 we saw a massive reduction in travel we just mm-hmm. couldn't travel anymore and that's where technology came in to make up for it but the next thing is about real estate Indeed. and how do we do that and and, and that's something that I think we, I, I mean, we've met with, with uh, I've met with certain local authorities and, they, and they're doing that, but they're doing it uh, under the auspice of, say, for example, uh, estate rationalization. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be very independent of IT. Yeah. yeah. So IT have been told, you need to provide um, a remote working solution or they, you mm-hmm. need to provide a way, yeah. or, or we're moving loads of people into a new building, so you need to provide more IT infrastructure. Yeah. But they never seem to be... Uh, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but they never seem to be at the table at the time when they're talking about it with, with, with sort of the, ex- the, the board level or the executive level of, a, yeah, yeah. of, a, of an authority. I'd like to think things are kind of changing and it's purely because of the compelling events that are kind of put in front of them now. And that is, you know, about kind of saving cash. The circumstances are such that there is no kind of choice and there is no option. The good thing about it is it's now being led from the top. So it's been led, you know, from various kind of public sector agencies as a kind of management edict but it has been highlighted that it's not really an IT problem only to fix it's got to include all of the different services that would mm-hmm. be part of that so that includes things like facilities management the typical kind of organisation that look after buildings and things and then also kind of HR the human resources part because you know it could mean contractual changes for some employees and things but if you think about you know, the ability for IT and HR and facilities management to sit in a room together and really kind of batter this out. It can be done and it can be achieved. I think the circumstances are now dictating that it happens, and I've definitely seen some instances, particularly within local government, that that's happening. Now, it's just a recognition that it's got to be kind of done. If you think about the square footage that needs to be kind of reduced, albeit that you're maybe talking about just a few square feet per person, you extrapolate that up to the number of employees that are employed within kind of public sector and across the different agencies. It's millions and millions of kind of square yeah. feet. And somebody can put a pound, shilling and pence against that square footage and actually put a real figure against building rationalisation. And 20 billion by 2020 seems like an awful lot of money. Building rationalisation could go a lot of a way to eating into that 20 mm. billion kind of pounds. And then so if you th- there's something that you, 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 you talked about square footage, square meterage or, or, or whatever as a major of measuring it and taking that up to the board level. I mean, that doesn't really mean much to me because mm. I'm, I'm special that way. Mm. What I, 
but what, what's your experience on how is that being measured at a sort of in, at a lower level? So you, you've mentioned yeah. before around desks, yeah, yeah, haven't you? And you've got yeah. some experience with that as well, haven't you? Yeah, and, and if you think about if you think about we as Cisco employees, we're kind of spoiled a little bit, right? So if you think about our fantastic teams within Cisco, particularly our workplace resources guys, um, about maybe 10, 12, maybe a little bit longer, kind of years ago, they were given a bit of a mandate that said, do you know what, Cisco's going to kind of hire and hire quite aggressively, but you're not allowed to rent or build any more buildings. So you've got to kind of use the floor space that you have but the workforce is going to increase fairly kind of dramatically. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you've got to think differently about how you design the buildings, and then you've got to work in conjunction with Cisco IT and associated technology business entities mm-hmm. to start putting solutions together to make it easy. If you think about Cisco and Cisco employees, we're spoiled because we can literally touch down in any Cisco office. We can use kind of hot desk and environments. Mm-hmm. We'll get privacy rooms, we'll get meeting rooms, we can book them, we can schedule them, we'll get mapping functionality that lets us kind of uh, move about the place so we kind of pretty much live the dream as it were in public sector land I guess how buildings were architected they were kind of architected where you still had like fixed desks and maybe even god forbid fixed offices with doors on them and that kind of thing and no windows and typically speaking what you found was is that the buildings were architected in that manner for about 80% of the population 20% tended to be kind of meeting spaces or areas where you could just like have a have a bit of a blather type of thing, but 80% was individually defined kind of areas for individual employees, hugely inefficient. What we're seeing now, if you think about what Cisco's done, we kind of flipped that 180 degrees, where 80% of the space is pretty much flexible and mobile, shared, you can decide where you want Mm -hmm. to kind of of sit down or touch down. 20% is really those kind of privacy rooms or meeting spaces, the kind of areas where you maybe want that, that kind of extra level of privacy. Yeah. We've got to, we've got to kind of help our public sector customers kind of almost architect that same kind of kind of percentage. And there's a, and there's a lot we've learned from that because you I mean I was speaking to the facilities guy and, and it is it got you I mean I remember I first joined Cisco and it was like oh great you can work from home and then they made it had a, such a great work from home policy that people weren't coming into the offices and and that's the flip side of it of people just will lose touch and we all still need to. To work together, it's a balance, right? It's, it's a, a balance, balance, and it's yeah. trying to get yeah. that balance of right. Okay, well, today I'm going to work from home because I'm really productive, but I need to work with the rest of the team that are in the office. So, how, I mean, there's, mm. there's got to be ways that we can a- enable that and facilitate that, and we do that ourselves, don't we? We're using video technology, uh, we're using yep. web technology such yep. as our WebEx solutions. We, I mean, we use video extensively mm-hmm. uh, and, and everyone in this room isn't it uh, we've all had video conferences with each other when I because I live in I live in deepest darkest Wales and mm-hmm. which is 150 odd miles from the office so mm-hmm. I only travel in when I need to so that, that's really interesting that we, we've got a lot of experience in this and we've gone through it how we, we, we've maybe gone too far the other way and then you're trying to make it so people come back in and, and you mentioned around, so we've got some customers you spoke to like Derby as well where yeah. you, you talked yeah. about from a desk perspective and yeah. how that the, the the gentleman you spoke to there, you mean he was measuring it on a desk per per for staff, wasn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. So I mean that's a good example where you don't you don't necessarily have to be completely, you know, kind of revolutionary and take a kind of leap of faith. You can be, you know, quite measured about how you start to adopt some of the mobile and flexible working practices. So within Derby, um, I think they had a very conservative kind of view to begin with, where. Previously, where they had 10 desks, 
so 10 employees, kind of 10 desks. They've now managed to reduce that to six desks. They've still got 10 employees, but now they have six desks because they implemented a mobile and flexible working kind of practice. It's already been kind of uh, highlighted that they could probably go down even further based upon the measurements and uh, kind of analytics. Because if you think, if you think of what you can do, you can take a general rule of thumb, right? You can take a general rule of thumb pretty much in most industries, including public sector, that says I could probably reduce the floor space, the kind of desk space by about 40%, uh, and, and probably not feel it, right? Probably not feel it. And that's probably a good kind of first starting point. And that's most probably what they've been doing already, isn't it? You yeah. said, right, okay, let's, where's the empty space? Let's, let's get rid of those buildings and move those other people into other buildings. But they've actually never really yeah. transformed. And to help make those savings again, they've got to really think yeah. about a different way of working. Exactly, right. Because you could almost think about, in fact, that point about maybe 20% building rationalisation. You could think about that as probably low-hanging fruit and easy pickings yeah. and things that you could cut off without actually thinking about how you could maybe um, architect them slightly differently. That's where the benefit is. The benefit now is, is that you could re- reduce that 20% even further by now re-architecting and using okay. technology to provide that mobile and flexible working. The other kind of side of it, I think it's worthwhile kind of mentioning, particularly for our public sector customers. We've then also got the ability to work with our public sector customers to help them understand what they could do differently, how they yeah. could maybe change some of the processes or working practices mm-hmm. and how they could maybe adopt more of a kind of mobile and kind of flexible working Is that more of a softer thing? So it's, it's a softer it's, thing, So it's right? not about the technology, it's about no. the people and the process. And, th- and this, is, this is the kind of point that I was getting to where I think we really need to help them here. You know, we've got a great answer for the technology and we have solutions for it. We can you know, deploy those solutions very rapidly and allow the customer to get the benefit of it. We can help them even through processes and even through architectural changes, not really within the building, but maybe with HR, right? Maybe yeah. kind of contractual changes and things. The third element is really the kind of cultural kind of side of it. Uh, what, what is it, what capability or what barriers potentially is there to the uh, kind of usage and adoption yeah. of this new way of working? that's a real concern, isn't it? Because we, we, there was a, the 71%, there was a survey that, that's online that, that I saw and it said 71% of civil servants feel that the culture is the barrier to change. And I totally agree with that, right? 100%. But sometimes it's a kind of, it's like a, a mental barrier. That kind of cultural piece is because people think, well, this is how I've done it for years. Mm. Why should I change, you know? Any kind of change sometimes meets with resistance and things, yeah. right? And so I think for years, we've been pretty good at explaining and articulating the technology We've been pretty good at explaining the benefits of it within these kind of new working practices and processes. We've probably not been that great at kind of leading the customers by the hand through usage and adoption kind of yeah. strategies. I think we're pretty much kind of bang on there now. And the best way to think about any mobile and flexible working project or workspace transformation or whatever is just think about it as a three-legged stool okay okay so one leg is the technology and you need I thought you were going to say three legged donkey then I don't know why although there's apparently a joke in there and I, 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 <laughs> see I, I can, I can remember, I'll see if I can remember the joke about the three legged stool and and a, a, a cow right but anyway so there's a, a kind of three legged stool what, one of those legs is technology right and you need to have a brilliant answer mm. for that because if you implement mobile and flexible working but you don't give the employees the tools that they need guess what's going to happen? It's going to fail, and it's going to fail miserably, right? So you need, yeah. you need a good technology answer. 
you need a good answer about well, what is it you're kind of trying to achieve, what is this new way of working, what is the kind of processes and things that we're kind of looking to achieve. And as an example of that, that might be even within local government, being able to use their subject matter expertise to deliver new channels of contact to their citizens, right? What's so, this, oh, sorry, that's, that, sorry, I... I that sounds a bit buzzy. Buzz with digital buzz channel, with blah, 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 right, okay. What, what's, what does that actually mean? So if, if you mean, customers are listening to this now and they're going to be like, but what does that mean? What yeah. kind of things are, they, are, we, are we talking about there? What, how, how are they, can yeah. things be delivered differently when you started thinking about using technology? And so, in, some, in simplistic terms, if you think about how maybe, for example, a local government interacts with their citizens, um, it is either physically face-to-face or it's either via the kind of phone. And most local government customers can actually put a cost against those transactions, and they know what their cost per transaction would be. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Face-to-face, physical face-to-face, is the highest cost of transaction. If they can shift, channel shift, right, buzzword, but if they can shift yeah. some of that face-to-face, physical face-to-face interaction onto either web interaction or, you know, all right, picking up the phone... Or even replicating face-to-face, but now using video over kind of distance, right? It's still a phone call now, but it's a much more intimate phone call as video. Then they can reduce the cost of transactions and actually Mm -hmm. potentially provide a better service, right? So it's a bit of a win-win. So that's what we talk about in terms of channel shift, moving away from those expensive transactional costs within local government to something that is sometimes as good, if not better, in terms of an interaction, but the cost per transaction is much lower. So they're going to be saving money, right? And they're going okay. to be saving money using... So even if you start looking at state rationalisation and moving people in or maybe getting people to work from home, because of the using technology, such as video technology, things like that, you can actually get them to deliver the same service, mm-hmm. but just in a different way. And, and arguably even a better service, depending on how you look at it. Because if you think about physical face-to-face, you've got to kind of schedule that appointment. You've got to meet physically in the same location. You've got to be... You know, have these experts in different kind of places. Mm -hmm. Start to use technology like kind of video and kind of maybe a solution like a a solution we call the remote expert, remote expert for government services. Um, That means your your subject matter experts can be physically anywhere and much more available, right? And then if you think about being able to use your real estate in a much more kind of clever way. So just as an example, think about citizens now visiting the local library and being able to use technology to have face-to-face transactions with local government employees that maybe yeah. are back in headquarters somewhere, and they're able to see 10, 15, 20 of those face-to-face kind of customers who just happen to be visiting yeah. the kind of local library. So it's that kind of idea, right? Yeah, because it was interesting, because I read uh, they were putting Wi-Fi services into, is it, uh, into Devon, um, mm-hmm. Devon Council mm-hmm. and, and they're delivering Wi-Fi there because it's a place that people who can't get internet can come into so yeah. the same sort of technology that you would maybe use internally to collaborate and to be productive and, and, and to interact with colleagues yeah. if you're say for working from home working from a shared office yeah. working from a different office mm-hmm. you can actually use exactly the same technology to deliver a different kind of service to to the, the your citizens who you still you still need to deliver those services, exactly. but just in a different way. Exactly. So it's a bit of a, a, a two-for-one type yeah. thing. And interestingly, there is uh, empirical evidence because a number of customers have deployed this. One of the uh, local references that we have is Hounslow Kind of Council, and they have good evidence that actually uh, some citizens, that in fact the majority of citizens, prefer 
that kind of interaction, yeah. i.e. using kind of video over the physical face-to-face, primarily because of the scheduling, kind of having to travel to the yeah. place, maybe kind of having to kind of sit in waiting rooms and all that kind of thing. It was a much more efficient, you know, kind of uh, kind of process. But anyway, going back to my three-legged show, because I want to oh, finish that, right? Have I not? Is, is did, did I distract te- you? Did te- I? Te- Sorry. Technology, right, we've got a good answer for. How the customer might adopt the technology in new processes, we can highlight a number of different you know, kind of capabilities there. But the third leg of the school the stool is this kind of cultural thing, right? Yeah. What What are your employees or citizens or, you know, kind of patients or whatever, what What are they like in terms of, uh, you know, utilising and kind of uh, adopting this kind of, uh, kind of technology? The point I'm making here, though, is, is that any project and any customer um, a kind of solution has to have an answer for all three legs of the stool. So you can have the best technology in the world and the best ideas in terms of the new processes, but if people won't adopt it, that stool's going to fall over, right? And vice versa, you can have fantastic, you know, kind of buy-in from the employees to culturally adopt the new way of working and some fantastic kind of processes and ideas, but your technology's not that great, it's not yeah. up to it, guess what, the stool falls over. It's a three-legged stool for the very reason that you need an answer for all three. You can't get away... Without you know, kind yeah. of uh, you, you know, kind of one, and there is a joke. There's something about a cow and an udder. I think he had the udder one. So who had the fourth leg? I think it was a cow. It was a milking, milking kind of stool. Is that what it is? Three-legged milking stool. And you, you know, where is the other? Where is the other kind of leg of that stool? The cow had it. He had the udder one. That is a terrible joke. <laughs> I, I, do you know? I don't even know. If that's I, was stay, right? I don't I even know if that's going to stay right? in the podcast for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, thanks for that, Steve. Crikey. Oh, God, they're not getting any better, are they? Thanks for listening to part one of Cisco's Smart and Connected Workspaces podcast. Don't forget, part two is available now to download as well.